Thank you for joining us on We Love San Diego. Our host, Brian McFadden, is one of the most in-demand evangelists today. As an actor who shared the screen with the likes of Robin Williams, Don Johnson, and later became part of the MTV Comedy Tour, Ryan had his life mapped out in front of him. But through the power of the gospel, God radically changed his life and perspective to go on from being served to serving. Today, Ryan and his wife, Rose, run one of the premier Christian outreach organizations in the country called We Love San Diego, as they bring church to the people, bringing hope to the hopeless, and serving those that society often turns a blind eye towards. Join us today as Ryan shares a message of hope that we believe will impact your life and inspire you to live the life that God is calling you to live. Now, here's your host of We Love San Diego, Ryan McFadden. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on We Love San Diego. I'm Ryan McFadden. I pray that this message today blesses your life and that God reveals a truth to you that only he can. Well, last week we spoke about the truth and the fact that Jesus said in his own words, I have come so that you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Through the Bible, God, if you think about it in essence, he gives us a cheat sheet on the test of life. Like he's telling us all the things that we need to do in all the situations that we can encounter. It is literally like a cheat sheet for life. Now, when I was at UC Santa Barbara, I was so focused on acting and spending most of my time down in Hollywood that midterms and finals, those tests, they would just come out of the blue. Like they came out fast. And I mean, we were on a quarter system. It was 10 weeks. So your midterm would happen around week five. And if you were only going twice a week, which was typically my schedule, you know, you'd have class number six and it's like, you're already jumping into that midterm. And if I was down in Hollywood, a lot of the time, all of a sudden it'd be like a panic of like, oh my gosh, we have a midterm in like two classes. I have to study. I have to really start getting into this. Now, the midterms, all the tests at Santa Barbara that they would give us were always multiple choice. It was A, B, C, or D. And whenever I would take a test and oftentimes not be as prepared as I hoped I would be, I would look at this test after saying a prayer, God, I need a miracle. God, if there's any way you can bring knowledge to my brain that I clearly do not have, I need you to do that right now. But I would look at this Scantron, and this might sound a little nutty, but I would look at it and I would say, on this Scantron right now, on this test, there is a perfect score. I just have to find the perfect pattern because everything is going to be A, B, C, or D. Therefore, it's almost like a pattern where if I can just pick the right ones each time, I'm going to get a perfect score. In fact, speaking about tests, there was this time at Santa Barbara that I was trying to test out of the math program. At that time, I was a business major, and the reality was if I scored high enough on this math placement test, I didn't have to take any math classes. And I had taken a lot of math throughout my uh, time in school, and I was like, if I could get out of taking another math class, that would be fantastic. So I sat down for this test, and here's what happened. The person who gave out the test, it was a time test. I think you had one hour. It was 50 questions. The person handing out the test said, okay, here's how it's going to start out. The first questions on the test are going to be the easiest, so you guys will be able to figure those out fairly easily, but please understand this is timed, and you want to spend the appropriate amount of time for each question. Again, it was A, B, C, or D, but he said it's going to get progressively harder as you go along. 
So I was excited about that. He handed out the test. I remember looking at question one, the easiest question according to this teacher, and I had never seen that type of math in my life. And I was like, oh my gosh. Then I looked at question two, because I was like, maybe question one is just something I haven't touched, but question two is supposed to be easier as well. So I looked at question two and I'm like, I've never seen that either. Question three, I've never seen this. And I started quickly flipping through stuff and I realized I don't know any of these. I'm stuck now in this math placement exam for the next hour and I I can't figure any of this out. I don't even know how to do this kind of math. And I remember looking at it, this is gonna ruin all my credibility, but this is a true story. I'm being honest with you about what I did. Because I didn't know how to do any of it, I stopped reading the questions and I just looked at the answers. I didn't even look at the question. I didn't care what the question said because I didn't know it anyway. I looked at A, B, C, or D, and I said, there's right now a 25% chance on every single question that I could magically get it right. And then I started to dissect how the how the answers looked. So it would be something like, hypothetically, it would it, on A, B, C, and D, it would be like number one, number six, number seven, and number 11. And I'd look at that and I would say, okay, if those are the numbers that are gonna be potential answers, I can eliminate for the most part the outliers. It's probably not gonna be one, it's not gonna be 11. It'll probably be six or seven because those numbers are close together. And in essence, what I was doing was I was eliminating uh, 50%. So now it was down to one or two. I just, I have a 50% chance out of each question to get it right, just simply looking at the answers. I will tell you, I did not pass but I missed it only by three points. You needed like a 40 out of 50. I got like a 37 out of 50 and I didn't even read the questions. And I remember bragging to my friends like, yeah, I didn't pass. I I, I failed it. I, I have to take math, but I almost passed and I didn't even read the questions. Now they looked at me, uh, not, not with admiration, but just kind of like, what is wrong with you? Um, but again, I didn't know. I didn't know how to answer them anyway. But imagine if I had the answers to the test right next to me as I took that test. I would have got a perfect score. And that's what I'm saying, that that in the Bible, in essence, it gives us the answers to the test of life. It gives answers to each situation, how to handle that situation, what to do, how to act. It's all right there laid out in front of us. God is saying, like that math test that I took, there's going to be a lot of questions that you have to face. Some may be easier than others, but here's the good news. I'm going to give you all the answers to each question you're going to face ahead of time. You just got to refer back when you face these situations. The problem is this. There is this idea from non-believers, and dare I even say some believers, that God is trying to trick them. As we spoke about last week, the world has flipped the script and often sees God as a taker and the devil as a giver. Where in reality, God is the giver, obviously, and the devil is the taker, but they see these answers on the test of life that God gives us access to as if God is telling us not to do something because he wants to take away our fun times. Like he's a strict principal that you'd have, like, say, in high school, who doesn't want anyone to have any fun. He's just going to be by the rules, by the book, and you better follow these, and just that not fun person. That couldn't be more further from the truth, whereas Jesus said, hey, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. And that is why I wanted to share this message with you today. And that is a very long introduction to my message, which is entitled, God is not trying to trick you. God is not trying to trick you. I've only been tricked one time in my life, or I like to think that I've only been tricked one time in my life. And I'll tell you about that here today. So I was in the seventh grade. Now, let me first of all, give you a clear picture of Ryan McFadden in the seventh grade. 
Ryan McFadden in the seventh grade had never had a girlfriend. I know that's shocking. I know you're like, you never, no, seventh grade, I never had had a girlfriend. And I decided at the beginning of the year, this is the year that Ryan McFadden gets a girlfriend. I I was determined, like I could just will it to happen. Like I am going to, this is it, I'm going to do it. And now here's the other picture of Ryan McFadden. Ryan McFadden didn't know about hair products. I didn't know why everyone at school's hair always stayed perfect. My hair, I would comb it with water in the morning. And then when I would come home after the school day was done, my hair was a disaster. And I was like, why is everyone else's hair always stay the same way all day? And mine is always a mess. I didn't know about hair gel. I didn't know about hairspray. Again, I didn't have a girlfriend. Surprise, surprise. I had to learn all these things the hard way. Here's the other fact. At uh, Northern California in uh, Hillview Junior High School, Pittsburgh, California, uh, we all dressed like rap stars like musicians and here's the thing about musicians they can wear clothes that none of us could get away with they can wear an outfit and just look normal like hey they're a musician like they're a pop star like and that's how we would all dress there was a time you probably aren't aware of this but there's a a singer out there pop star named lady gaga in one concert lady gaga was wearing cat food on her face and no one thought that was weird I know you may think it's weird, but during this concert, everyone was like, yeah, she's got cat food on her face. That She's a pop star. Now, if you're in real estate and you show up to sell a house wearing meow mix on your face, someone's probably going to say, yeah, I don't know if I want to buy this. House is a little overpriced. Like, you can't get away with that. But in Pittsburgh, California, at Hillview Junior High, we were like, we're going to dress like all of the rap stars that we see. And there was a store at the County East Mall in Antioch, California called PJs. And PJs only sold the outfits that rap stars were going to wear. And that's where I'd always convince my dad. He would say, where do you want to go today? I'd say, let's go to the mall and buy some outfits at PJs. And my dad just let me do what I was going to do. He didn't really ever criticize me, although I really, really wish he would have. So I went into PJs one time and there was a all purple rayon button up short sleeve shirt. And amazingly, it had a matching all purple rayon shorts. And I bought that. I looked like a grape. I was covered in purple. And here's the thing. When you're in junior high, high school, you always think like, when was the last time I wore this outfit? Because you don't want people to remember like, oh, he just wore that recently. Well, when you're in the seventh grade, I would wear it like on a Monday. And by Wednesday, I'd be like, I wonder if anyone remembers that I wore this just two days ago. Like anyone would ever forget. To this day, they probably remember the all purple rayon outfit that I would wear. Sometimes I would wear it back to back days like, oh, they won't remember. This isn't that memorable. But I was dressed in all rayon, which, by the way, you sweat like an animal in that. And I was decked head to toe in a rayon purple outfit. But then there was wet one day. I was walking down the hallway from behind. I heard a voice and I I picture like David versus Goliath and how Goliath's voice must have sounded. And that's like how the voice sounded as I was walking down this hallway from behind. Someone said, hey, and they grabbed me. And I remember they grabbed me in in such a a strong way that it, it nearly dislocated my shoulder. And I turned around to see the biggest kid who happened to be a girl in our school. Now, I didn't know her name. In fact, to me, she looked like a young Shaquille O'Neal. 
She was the tallest kid, biggest kid, both in size and and wits in the in the school. And she said, "Hey," and I said, "Oh, hey, oh, scared me there." And she said, "I have a question for you." And at that point, when you're staring down the biggest kid in school, girl or boy, you say, "Hey, you can ask me anything you want. I, I just don't beat me up." And she says, um, "Would you ever have a girlfriend named Courtney?" Now, here's the thing. I was in the seventh grade. I, I did weird things in seventh grade. I watched the news like I was kind of up on politics. Like I, I was aware of a lot of things seventh graders weren't aware of. But when she asked me this question, it really stopped me dead in my tracks because I was like, is there something wrong with the name Courtney? Like, is there something that other people are aware of that they wouldn't have girlfriends named Courtney, like a stigma with this name? And I'm trying in these in this one or two seconds to rack my brain like, why would I not have a girlfriend named Courtney? What is it like? What do I not know in this situation? So I couldn't think of any reason. I remember I looked at her and I said, yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd have a girlfriend named Courtney. I'm OK with that name. And she looked at me and she said, good, because my friend Courtney likes you and she wants to be your girlfriend. I'll tell you what, I was so excited for the rest of the day. Everywhere she went, I I, I looked for her and, and she wasn't hard to spot because like she was on the basketball court and she was like, she was dunking. She was breaking rims like young Shaq did in the NBA. Like she was pushing kids around and she wasn't hard to spot. So I was really locked on her the whole day. Like who's she talking to? Who are her friends? And I would see some people and I'd think like, hey, maybe that's Courtney. Yeah, I bet that's Courtney, but I couldn't really figure it out. So that day went by and I come the next day and all of a sudden while I'm walking down that hallway and, and right in front of me, here comes young Shaq pushing kids out of the way into, into lockers. And I'm like, oh, here she comes. And she comes up to me and again, she says, hey, really, really scary voice. And uh, again, kind of startles me. And I'm like, yeah, hey, hey, how you doing? And she says, hey, remember yesterday when I asked you if you would have a girlfriend named Courtney? And I'm like, uh, yeah. And she goes, well, my friend she likes you. Her name's Courtney and she wants to be your girlfriend. It was a repeat of what happened the day before. It was kind of weird, but I was like, okay, well, hey, just have her come talk to me. Like, you know, hey, just tell her to come up and talk to me. Again, the whole day I'm staring at this, at this giant person. Who is she talking to? Who could Courtney be? I'm looking at, and again, I see different people. I'm like, maybe that's Courtney. Oh, I hope that is Courtney. Oh, wow. That, that'd be nice if that's Courtney. Like the whole day. And then day three happens. Again, she comes from behind me, nearly dislocates my shoulder. She grabs me and she says, hey, now at this point, I'm matching her intensity. And I'm like, hey, back to her because now I'm getting some confidence. Like I'm probably not going to get beat up by her. And she says, hey, remember when I asked you if you'd have a girlfriend named Courtney? Now, I don't say this out loud, but in my mind, I'm thinking, what does she what does she think I am? Like you come up two days in a row. Like clearly I remember this like it wasn't a year ago. It was a day ago. But I don't say that. I'm just like, yeah. She goes, well, guess what? And I'm like, what? And I'm thinking like, now's the reveal. Her friend is probably right behind her. She says, well, my name is Courtney. And now I am your girlfriend. And she grabs my hand. And I'll tell you what. If you've ever seen a ghost, you would not look as scared as I did in that moment. She grabs my hand and starts walking with me down the hallway. Again, this is an audio medium, but I'm going to paint the picture. If you've ever seen a young child... Uh, dragging a teddy bear down the hallway where it's just kind of dragging on the ground. That's me with Shaquille O'Neal dragging me down that hallway. And you also know this, and this probably happens to women more than men, but men, you might be able to relate to this. You ever have to run an errand and it's a quick errand and you're like, you know what? I'm not going to get all done up. 
I don't have to do my hair, put on like a nice outfit. I'm not going to see anyone. I'm going to be in and out so fast. And what happens every single time you do that? You see every person you've ever met in your life. You run into your old boyfriend, your old girlfriend. Like that's how it always goes. When I'm being dragged down this hallway, every person I've ever met in my life, even kids that didn't even go to the school are in this hallway and they're all looking at me and they're saying, oh, Ryan, wow. You and Shaq over there. Wow. I, I had no idea. I am scared out of my mind. I call. I, I, I went home sick. I didn't even finish the day. I just, I, I said, I'm sick. I got to go home. The rest of the day, I said, how in the world can I get out of this? I clearly need to get out of this and I need to get out of this fast. So uh, she gave me her phone number. She told me to call her and you don't say no. You do not say no. So I called her that night and I thought I came up with a perfect excuse. I lied to her. I'm going to be honest with you. I know we shouldn't as Christians, but back then I, I was borderline and I called her up and I said, Courtney, I got, I, I got some bad news. First of all, I just want to say like, you're just so perfect. You, oh man, like everything I've always wanted, it's you. But I was talking to my mom today and I told her that I had a girlfriend and Unfortunately, she said, I'm not allowed to have a girlfriend right now. And well, she's even grounded me. And she told me that we can't be together. So I'm going to have to break up with you. And Courtney heard that. And she said, oh, you're going to break up with me. And I said, "Ah, it's my mom. It's my mom. And she said, well, I'm going to tell you right now. If you break up with me, I'm going to beat up your sister. Now, let me tell you, my sister was a year younger than me. She was in the sixth grade. She was a really nice person. She never got in trouble in her life. She didn't even know any of this was going on. She, she was innocent, completely innocent. But when Courtney said, well, if you break up with me, I'm going to beat up your sister. I just paused for a second. I said, well, if that's what it's going to take, I guess, I guess you got to go do what you have to do. And that she didn't beat up my sister, but that was the end of my relationship with Courtney. I don't like being tricked. I don't like being tricked at all. But the reality is God is not trying to trick us like Courtney tricked me. He's trying to save us. As I said before, through the Bible, through the Holy Spirit, we are being given the answers to the test of life. All we have to do is look at the answers and do what they say. I'll give you two quick examples here before we close out in our final minutes. Example one, the Bible talks about not sleeping with someone until you're married. 1 Corinthians 7.2, Hebrews 13.4, you can, you can look those up yourself. Now, the God's trying to trick us crowd would see this as, well, God's trying to take away all my good times, all my fun. And, and again, God's not trying to do any of that. He's trying to save us from all the problems that this can bring on. I'll give you an example. So if you were in junior high or high school and you, you had a girlfriend or a boyfriend, you probably thought to yourself, at least at some point, this is the perfect person for me. This is the man or woman of my dreams. And you pictured yourself marrying them and they were it. In fact, you probably had good days and bad days back then just based upon how things were going with them. Like they, you're in an argument with them. It's a terrible day because this is the man or woman of my dreams. You were so sure you were going to marry them, but you didn't. And maybe 10, 20 years later, you ran into that person. And when you ran into them, there was one thought that crossed your mind. I dodged a bullet on that one. Man, I am so glad I am not with that person. But you were so sure that they were the one. Now imagine this. When you're dating in the dating world and you meet someone and you're so sure they're going to be the one and God says, hey, you can't do certain things until you're married. But you say, well, God's trying to take away my fun. I'm not going to follow that. And you do it 
and there's a kid now involved. Relationship ends because most do. But now there's a kid involved. Now for at least the next 18 years of your life, you're tied to someone that you don't even want to be with. Now for at least the next 18 years of your life, you're either paying child support or relying on child support to someone, again, you don't want anything to do with. And worse off, now there's a kid involved. A kid who loves their mom and dad. Doesn't understand why you guys don't live under the same roof. And worse off, sees the example that you're setting and thinks that that's what relationships are. So now the kid is going to have this issue of, of a real healthy relationship for the rest of their life, all because we didn't follow what God said. Hey, don't do this. Don't do this. It's going to create a whole lot of heartbreak and heartache for you, for the kids, for, for so many people. It's going to snowball on you like you wouldn't believe. But now if we follow what God has told us to do, we follow the answer to the test. We get married and, and we have our wedding vows and we hold to those. Now you have a kid, you don't deal with any of that stuff. And the reality is God is just trying to say, hey, I know this might be counterintuitive to how the rest of the world thinks, but there's a reason I'm telling you to do this. Or what about this last one? There's a moment in the Bible when this rich young man who's kept all of the commandments goes up to Jesus. Like he's a good person. And he's devoted his entire life to keeping the scriptures. And we know this because of his interaction that he has with Jesus. It comes to us in Mark 10, 17 through 22. It says, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him and knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds back, why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, hey, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. And the guy's excited when he hears this because he, he realizes, I've done all that. He says, teacher, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. And we know that it was true because Jesus doesn't rebuke him. Jesus doesn't say, no, you, you haven't done that. In fact, Jesus, looking at the man, it says, he felt genuine love for him. And he says, there's only one thing you still haven't done. He says, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And it says that this, man, this man's face fell when he heard that because he realized he was very rich, had many possessions, and he didn't want to do that. Now, the God is trying to trick me crowd would say that God wanted this man to be poor. And they didn't want him to live the good life. And that's quite the opposite. In the Ten Commandments, it says that you should have no other God before God. And in this young man's life, his God was wealth. It held him back from the very thing that he was asking for and seeking, which was eternal life. And God was not trying to trick him. He was trying to save him. The Bible says, what good is it for a man who inherit the whole world if he forfeits his soul? Jesus didn't tell every person to sell all their possessions, but he knew in this young man's life, that's what he had to do in order to get what he wants. And even beyond that, Jesus said, once you do this, come follow me, which is the exact words he used for his disciples. In other words, he was saying like, you could be one of my disciples if you just do this. But he didn't do it. And we never hear about that young man again. The reality is this. God will often ask us to do things that are difficult, that require true faith and true trust in him. He will tell us to do things that may even be counterintuitive to what we want to do, but we can confidently do the difficult things when we know that God is real, that he loves us, that he provides all we need in life. 
that he's never trying to trick us, but he's rather trying to save us and give us eternal life in paradise with him. Thank you for joining us for We Love San Diego with Ryan McFadden. We pray that this message has blessed your life. If you'd like to learn more about We Love San Diego or to partner with us, visit welovesandiego.org, spelled W-E-L-U-V-Sandiego.org. That's W-E-L-U-V-Sandiego.org. For additional messages, find us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts at We Love San Diego. Also, if you live in the San Diego area, you can find out where and when the next outreach event is by following We Love San Diego on Facebook and Instagram. We so value you listening to our show today and hope you tune in next Sunday at 9 a.m. as we bring another message of hope to you and your family. And as Ryan always says, find a need and fill it. Find a hurt and heal it. This has been We Love San Diego. There's jewelry, and then there's jewelry by Isabella Rose Design Company. Isabella Rose Design Company makes handmade jewelry for a cause. All their sales go towards fighting human trafficking. Using polymer clay and precious metals, their modern jewelry designs have helped them become one of the fastest-growing jewelry companies in the world. Feel good and look good knowing that you're making a difference in the area of human trafficking. Visit them today at IsabellaRoseDesign.co. That's IsabellaRoseDesign.co. When the COVID-19 pandemic struck, We Love San Diego sprung into action, giving out over 30,000 pounds of food and supplies, as well as over 50,000 diapers to those in need. Today, the outreach continues as they give out over 60,000 pounds of food and supplies to over 10,000 families who otherwise wouldn't know where their next meal was coming from. Visit welovesandiego.org to help out and become the hands and feet of Jesus. That's welovesandiego.org.